You're listening to the Combinate Podcast, a show that connects you to the most important resource in the medical device and pharma industries, its people. My name is Subi Sedate. I'm a bioengineer, and for the last decade, I've sought to broaden my understanding in this industry and have been amazed at the wonderful people I've met and the insights they've given me. Each week, I sit down with leaders to discuss their expertise, the lessons they learned, and continue that mission. Whether you're a student, engineer, scientist, or marketer, you're sure to pick up advice and knowledge that you can apply to make an impact. Now on to the episode. On this episode of the Combinate Podcast, we had Dr. David Albert, an Oklahoma native, physician, inventor, and serial entrepreneur who's developed life-saving technologies and products over the last 30 years. Uh, Dr. David Albert and I talk about pursuing a career and family simultaneously, becoming an inventor physician by chance, the unexpected reception that started AliveCore, his inventions and patents, the importance of being optimistic and opportunistic, the lessons he learned having created four businesses, his amazing fire alarm inventions under Lifetone Technologies, and artificial intelligence and remote patient monitoring devices. I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. David Albert. Uh, welcome, Dr. David Albert. Thank you, Subi. My pleasure. Can you tell folks a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'm an old grandfather. Actually, it's wonderful being a grandfather. Uh, I am a... How many grandkids? I got two, two granddaughters. Uh, one that just came home from the hospital, just born yesterday. So we're all celebrating little grace. But uh, I have been married for 38 years, have four grown kids, two granddaughters. And those are the most important things in my life. My wife, my kids, my granddaughters. Um I am an accidental entrepreneur, not a planned entrepreneur. I made many, many mistakes in my entrepreneurial journeys, um, but they were not fatal. That's good. I picked myself up and uh, kept going. And, you know, a little over 10 years ago, I started AliveCore, and we've done some really cool things and, and continue to thrive and grow and to, I hope, help make medicine more affordable, more accessible, uh, not just here in the US, but globally. And so I, I've, I've succeeded beyond my wildest expectations at AliveCore. Um, the, the expectations of 10 years ago would not have been where we are today. So that's a little bit about me. I, I left medicine accidentally, but I haven't looked back. And that was uh, 35 years ago. So here I am, ready or not. I'm, I'm ready. So I, I appreciate you kind of leading with your family. Um, if I can ask you a, a question uh, as, as uh, somebody who's, who's perhaps earlier in, the, in their career with, with two kids, like many of my peers, um, you know, it can feel like a bit of a struggle as, as one tries to juggle, you know, um, having a, a professional life. I know yours was, was full of uh, busyness and turmoil and challenges, I bet. Um, but you led, with, you led with being a grandparent and a dad. I mean, how, how does, is that a skill that is cultivated over time? How did you, how did you manage the, the tough times? Any advice you have for us? younger parents. Uh, I, have, I should say a little bit of background. I have a, a, an eight month old that insists on waking up five to six times a night right now. There you go. Yeah. That is continues. Uh, children continue to be a challenge and a blessing at the same time. So when I was uh, building uh, my company, I had young kids and uh, I, I would have to travel, but almost every night I would try to call 
before they went to bed, wherever that was, whenever what time zone I was in, and I would try to pray with them before they went to bed. And that was a routine we had. And, um, and I'm glad I have it. I, I still, it, it's great memories, great memories of, uh, you know, finding, you know, cell phones, thank God we had cell phones, but, but making those phone calls and getting my wife to get the two little boys, because our, our family is, is a unique family, unique, all families are unique, but we have a, I have a 36 year old da- daughter is the oldest 32 year old son. Uh, and then there's an eight year gap. And the next one is an eight year old. I mean, excuse me, 24 year old, eight year after the eight year, eight year gap, 24 year old son and a 22 year old son. So three sons and a daughter and an eight year gap between really two sets of kids. And, and it used to be when we would travel and, and the two younger ones were young and the older, everybody thought it was his, hers and theirs, you know, cause that's not an unusual situation, but it's all ours. You know, we, we, uh, my wife's a doctor and she had done training, finished her training. And so we took a break from kids and, uh, it just worked out the way it worked out. So that, you know, we wouldn't trade it for the world, but raising a family, pursuing your dreams are challenges to do simultaneously and, and takes, uh, you know, a, a mom and a dad and a village and every, everything else. Um, so I, 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 I take my hat off to everybody who's successfully raising kids because it is a real challenge and successfully raising kids while keeping a roof over their head. Again, big challenge, but ultimately very worthwhile. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that. And I like the, 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 the daily uh, check-in um, and, and the prayer. I think that's, you know, my wife was, my wife was telling me about the, uh, her background is in psychology. And she was telling me that, you know, the, the importance of having these key moments with, with children throughout the day. And it's almost like, it's almost like a warm up routine and the cool down the criticality of that. And, you know, the, the time when they wake up, the time they go to sleep is really uh, critical. And, you know, like, like you can, you can waste certain times within the day, so long as you hit the, the, the critical points. So I resonate with that. Um, now, in, in terms of, uh, you know, your, you, you talked about being an accidental entrepreneur. I, I was listening to, um, a, a, your, you know, your motivation of starting, you know, you're, you're a cardiologist by, by training, right? And so, you know, my father passed away from a heart attack when he was uh, 45 years old. I was 14 uh, years old at the time. Um, and uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, but you know, the, the, the importance of, uh, you know, kind of your work resonates well with me. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, your motivation there? Yeah. So, um, my, I was a medical student at Duke and I had nine months to go and my dad had a heart attack in 1980. And, uh, he was, right around 70 years old at the time, maybe 71. And I went back from Durham, North Carolina, where Duke is to Oklahoma City. And uh, I stayed with him for two weeks. And that was before stents. They wanted to do bypass surgery on him, but uh, uh, we decided that wasn't the right move at the time. And after he got out, they wanted him to do what's called cardiac rehab. And so they wanted him to exercise, walk, until his heart rate got to 120. Well, I knew he couldn't measure his heart rate. And there were no Apple watches or chest straps or any of the tools we have today. They just didn't exist in 1980. And so uh, I went back and, and one of my classmates at Duke had been an undergraduate engineer at Duke, a biomedical engineer. And he had one of his former classmates was a grad student in biomedical engineering at Duke. He introduced me to him and uh, I took $200. Do you know what $200 was to a medical student? Well, that was, you know, I, it, it'd be six figures to me today is what that would be. I mean, it was a lot of money and I gave it to this guy to build a heart rate monitor for my dad. And two months later, he came to me at the circuit board with all these wires and he said, well, it doesn't work, but that's all I'm gonna work on. What, what? And um, 
at the time, it just blew my mind that I'd been basically taken to the cleaners uh, by this guy. And so I just swore that I wouldn't let that happen again. And I, I had worked in a lab at Duke, we used a lot of different kinds of equipment, some, some early personal computers. The IBM PC didn't exist yet. So, I mean, we're talking early. Um, and I barely understood any, how any of that worked. So I did something really stupid. I went to the dean of the medical school and the dean of the school of engineering. And, uh, and I said, I'd like to become an engineer. And my father, who was always magnificent, said, okay, I'll help fund that. And I explained to him, I wanted to make you a heart rate monitor. So the next two and a half years, I only had, again, nine months of medical school left. Took a leave of absence, went to engineering school, then went back and finished medical school. I'd already built two inventions, patented them, licensed one of them. And I went back to Oklahoma and I came up, you know, uh, for more training. And I came up to, I had developed a new invention and nobody wanted to license it. Well, I'd already licensed to, I bought myself a Corvette. I was feeling pretty frisky at the time. Uh, and, and I, uh, so I, again, dumb decision number two. I go to my wife and my dad and I said, you know, I think I'm going to drop out of clinical medicine now and, and start a company. And my two mentors, one was my mentor, Duke, who's a cardiologist. And both of my mentors are dead now. That's how I know how old I am. When your mentors are all dead, you're old. Okay. So my mentor, Duke, was a very famous cardiologist. And my mentor at the University of Oklahoma was the chief of cardiology, another very famous cardiologist. And they were helpful in convincing my dad and my wife that I wasn't crazy. Mm. I was crazy, but they helped. And, you know, and the, the argument was pretty good. Dave can always go back, be a doctor. Yeah, plan B, I had a plan B. I never implemented plan B, stayed with plan A the whole time. So that's four companies ago. So I started a company, didn't know what the hell I was doing, made so many mistakes, all kinds <coughs> of mistakes, had no business experience whatsoever. Um, and I learned quickly, quickly meaning in a matter of a few years, sold that company and almost immediately, about six months later, started another one. And that one I was way smarter about because I'd, I'd made so many mistakes the first time. And I went out and I hired a professional CEO and we did really well. We, we built a nice company. We went public in 1999. We sold to GE in 2001. We actually sold the company on 9-11, 2001. It was a crazy day. It was amazing. So That was, that was data critical. That was data critical, right? Sold data critical on 9 11, uh, 2001. And, uh, you know, I, I've learned a lot. The hard knock school of business. I probably would have been much smarter had I somehow figured out how to get an MBA and learn what a balance sheet and what a PL is and things like that, which I just had no clue. Um, I knew how the heart worked. That I knew how I knew about how the heart worked. And at the time, I knew how computers worked and how all kinds of medical technology worked. And so I spent the next three years at GE as the chief scientist of GE cardiology. And, and that was an interesting education. Realized that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life is work at that company. But it but it taught me a lot. And so then uh, I left there because I couldn't stand it anymore. And, and I'd seen some of the problems that only became apparent 10 years later to the rest of the world when GE started to have all kinds of issues. Um, was a, you know, it's a great company with some great people. I still have great friends there in what's left of it, which is jet engines, power plants, and medical technology. It's a world leader in all three of those. Um, 
but it was in all kinds of other things at the time. So I learned that. That was lessons I, I saw, how you could run a business uh, and, and how you could maybe not run it for the future, run it for the next quarter. And so, you know, I, I began searching and, uh, you know, ultimately began Alive Core accidentally on an idea I had in 1995, but we didn't start till 2010. And uh, I've documented that path many times. The accident ended up, I accidentally made a four minute video that was, that I was taught how to do and upload to YouTube by my nine-year-old son who modified Nerf guns and did YouTube videos and watched them on modifying Nerf guns. And I made a four minute video to send to three people uh, that I was not gonna go to this consumer electronics show in January, 2011. Three people I wanted to send, I wanted to show my new cool iPhone EKG device to weren't gonna be there. So I made this- CES. That was CES. Four minute unscripted video. And I just happened to click a box that said, send this link to your LinkedIn connections. And I had no Twitter followers. I, had, I wasn't really much on Facebook, maybe a few family friends. And, but I had about three or 400 LinkedIn connections. I have 13,000 today. And I have 16,000 Twitter followers. But at the time, I had maybe three or 400. It was all former GE people. And I, I don't even know why I clicked that box when I hit upload. And then I left. I, I let it upload. I went off. The next day was New Year's Eve. I had a date with my wife. And my partner, who is in Australia, um, sent me a text message. The uh, New Year's, he'd already had New Year's because the other day ahead across the date line. And he said, what did you do? I said, what do you mean? What did I do? I told him I had sent this, this email out, this video. He said, we have 250,000 views. 250,000 views. It's supposed to go to three people. Um, and it went to 400,000. And then I got called by Good Morning America and Fox and Friends. And everybody wanted me to get up. At, literally, I had to get up at three in the morning to be at the convention center at four in the morning so they could have their shows that start at seven in the morning on Eastern time. And that started a live core. Uh, all of a sudden, I had all kinds of people uh, wanting to invest wanting to buy and uh, that accidental, you know, I'm an accidental entrepreneur. That was an accidental viral video. Uh, I didn't know what a viral video was. Again, I'm, I'm an old man. I have to, uh, 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 I can tell you fast forward to just a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, I had a cardiologist, a really super smart guy up in, up in Oregon, who uh, I complimented him on something. And he, he was complimenting me on my physical fitness. And, and, and he says, you, you, you know, you're, you're an original OG. I thought that meant old guy until my kids told me, dad, it's original gangsta. Yeah. That is a super compliment. And I, I had I said that she shows I had no clue that a I oh gee, I just figured old guy okay not original gangster and then when when they told me original gangster I said but dad that's a real compliment and I said well and so I reached back to the guy I said thank you I just found out that my it, you didn't mean old guy that uh, and 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 so I've had a lot of accidents in my life so be and all I can tell you is. You need to, it, to be an entrepreneur, one of the, you, you have to have a couple of things. One is eternal optimism. The second one is you need to be an amazing opportunist because sometimes your plans don't work, but, but a new opportunity, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, they call it pivoting. Ah, oh, well, we pivoted our business. You know, um, the guy who started uh, uh, eBay, right? He, he just wanted to make a, a, a site that could sell the Pez dispensers collection that his girlfriend had. Oh, and there came eBay. Okay. The guys who started PayPal, they didn't start Elon Musk, Elon Musk, you know, he he's, he's famous for having pivoted. He was at one of the PayPal founders 
they were doing something completely different. And so you need to recognize when what you're doing isn't working, but when another opportunity jumps up. And I think I have a series of those in my life. And I was at least fortunate enough, not smart enough, but fortunate enough to seize the opportunities. Carpe diem. So <clears throat> uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I want to dive a little bit deep into um, the, the medical school engineering school phase. I heard you, uh, you know, in an interview talk about how, um, you know, the, the whole, um, the, the video upload, luckily sharing with LinkedIn and then Good Morning America and Fox and Friends. And, you know, it, you said it was an overnight success 10 years in the making. So I kind of wanted to go 10 years back and talk about the, the medical school engineering. That was 20 years before, by the way. Okay. So 20 well, years well, before, uh, in 1980. Well, it was it was nuts. But, but I, I tell you what, I had been using equipment in this laboratory that I didn't really understand. People would show me how to do, you know, turn this to this, turn this to that, load this floppy disk in, type this one, line in, but I actually, that was about all I knew. I just knew how to use something, you know, like we know how to turn on a TV, but how does a TV work? Let alone a new digital TV. Okay. The old TVs uh, didn't know how they worked and new TVs, they're totally different. They work a completely different way. They work like these laptops were on, like these computers were on. So when that example of my father and this guy making this board that didn't work, this, this circuit, and I had no idea how to respond and no idea about it, that built up a level of frustration. I said, I don't want to be in the dark. You know, I could see already that technology was going to be critical in medicine, which it is. It's absolutely critical. In the world of cardiology, cardiology is a procedure based we use ultrasound, MRI, CT scans, chest x-rays, EKGs, all kinds of implantable devices, pacemakers, defibrillators. Uh, it's a technology focused specialty with a lot of electronics in it, uh, as well as, 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 as other types of technology like artificial hearts and support devices. And so I just realized, you know, if I'm going to be really good at at that side of the medicine, I better understand what I'm doing. I better understand all these tools. Otherwise, I'm going to be just like I was in the lab. They're going to show me how to turn the knobs and do this, but I won't really have a real understanding. And so that that really cemented me in. I I'm going to go figure. I'm going to go learn how that works. And and I know now. You know, it's it's funny. The last time I wrote a program was about. Uh, 1990, maybe 1991. That was the last time I wrote computer code. And I laugh at people now uh, at Data Critical. And they, I said, you know, I program in a very high level language. I go, oh, what's that? I said, English. I find the people and I tell them what to do. And, and hopefully sometimes they're smart enough to, that I'm right and they're they were right and they listened to me. And so that's been, you know, the success for, for the next 30 years was um, me programming in a high level language and people having faith that I knew what I was doing. And, and, and it's worked out, it's, it's, it's worked out. I think uh, you would find people thinking, you know, not every idea I have is good, but I've had a few good ones. And so that's, that, that's where I am today. Yeah, I've heard I've heard somebody say something to the effect of, "I want to be like ninety over eighty-eight, <laughs> you know, something like that. Ninety good over eighty-eight bad." And so to get into and that's, the habit, you just you just need to have a positive ratio. You're absolutely right. Yeah, uh, that's true. So <clears throat> you called the decisions dumb decisions. Um, were you were you saying they were? Um, dumb at the time or was it sarcasm? Well, no, I, I think at the time they were dumb. Uh, yeah. In retrospect, I mean, I, again, I, I had a plan B. I could go back and just be a regular old doctor. And, and I'd always, you know, my path was I was going to be an academic cardiologist and that was what I was going to do and work at a medical school. And 
and and so what happened is I didn't have to go back to plan B. And and that was accidental. It, it certainly wasn't my plan when I went to medical school. It wasn't even the plan when I went back to check on my dad when he had his heart attack. It was not the plan. The plan was traditional. And I extended uh, my education beyond what I thought it was going to be. And I went down an area I didn't know anything about. I had to go back and take multivariable calculus. I had to take uh, advanced physics and fluid mechanics. And these are hard freaking classes. And I'm with a bunch of undergrads before I could get to the level where I could take graduate school courses and really understand things. And, you know, programming microprocessors and building electronic circuits and designing it. And, but, but I had an advantage over most of them. One, I was way more focused. And B, I had, I could, I had things I wanted to build. And so I actually had goals. And so in a lot of engineering classes, they, they might say have a project. I already had my projects. I knew exactly what I was gonna do. And, and the people at Duke humored me. And today, I mean, I still have great friends there. Uh, it, it worked. It didn't have to work. There was, it was clear. There were a number of places where I could have just failed miserably. And I failed. When I failed, I failed in small ways. When I succeeded, I succeeded in pretty big ways. But, but you know, again, that ratio, 90 over 88, I, I, I had a positive ratio. And I think all I can say is, is that I came out of of learning to be an engineer, and and I know that, and I already knew uh, I, I I had the medical background, and then again, cardiology is a a specialty in an area that's so technologically oriented that it gave me some real advantages, and and so now, um, it is I have an advantage, and and and. I continue, I'm continue to be an opportunist. So be. Do you find, do you find that the, <clears throat> you know, the more, the more involved that you have, the easier it is to, to see the opportunities or is it just the same? Is your, is your no, opportunity, I, I would say, opportunity say it's, vision uh, uh, muscle stronger? It's, it's stronger. It, it's stronger because I can tell you that, that some of my ideas in the beginning were cool science, but but not practical business, okay? And I've learned it, you, you, you can't just have cool science. You can't just have a cool invention. You need to have a practical way of turning that into commercial success. And that muscle, uh, being able to recognize an idea that wasn't just a good medical idea, but was a good business idea, was was a muscle that developed over over many years, and is better now than it ever has been. As I've seen, uh, you know, data critical. I lived in Oklahoma City the entire time, so started data critical in Oklahoma City, but we located the business in Seattle, Washington, at the at first in Redmond, really a block away from Microsoft. And, and ultimately, when we sold the business, it was headquartered in, in the Seattle area. Uh, AliveCore is in Mountain View, literally a block away from Google. Why? Because the center of the technology universe in 1993 was Seattle, Washington. You had Microsoft, you had Boeing, you had a bunch of medical technology companies, a company called Physio control, the world's leader in defibrillators. You, you, you had a critical mass of people there. And we had, because of this idea of wireless communication and personal communication, there was, um, a, there was an entrepreneur, a, a famous entrepreneur named Craig McCaw, started McCaw Wireless, ultimately sold to AT&T and uh, became AT&T Wireless. And, and, and I recruited away a vice president from McCaw to come join my business as CEO, because I realized that this communication to a doctor, a doctor can be anywhere, and, and communicating to that doctor isn't going to a location, it's going to a person. And that's, uh, I, there's a great article, and I, I had it framed 
um, Albert believes in a wireless future. It's from our Oklahoma City newspaper. And I look at that and I go, Jesus, I, I got that one right. I got that one really right. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, you know, these things right here, we just, we, we, we live on these things. And so that, you know, the, there's, that muscle has gotten better. And, and today in Silicon Valley, I've seen good science, bad commercial. And I think I recognize when the two are out of sync better than I did 20 years ago. Good science, bad commercial. Yeah. <clears throat> you got to have both to have a successful business. Yeah. And, and, and bad science and good commercial falls flat. <laughs> that, that doesn't work. Yeah. Either. Yeah. Okay. Um, that doesn't, but, that doesn't work. You can have a great team and just, uh, and your, you know, your, your science, your engineering doesn't work. And, and, uh, and then you can have a bad team and bad science. I think we've all watched the Theranos disaster. You just happen to be really good at selling a dream. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that in Silicon Valley. I've seen every, in the last 10 years, I've watched all of those kinds of mistakes. And then I've watched, you know, tremendous successes and you got to have the two things in sync, the science and the commercial opportunity. I must say, um, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by the uh, leaving medical school with, with some time left and going back to uh, engineering school. I myself have, you know, I've been working in, in quality now for the last uh, six years and <clears throat> have done a, I've done a good amount to refine say my, my quality engineering pickaxes. But um, as of late, maybe six months ago, started going deep into more. I mean, I'm like a certified quality engineer in that, but you know, I wanted to start operating at a higher level after start talking to some gurus and have been doing a lot of research on my own and have been feeling almost out of my depth. So have been uh, researching grad schools and meeting with professors and that. And so uh, maybe maybe I'll be making my own dumb decision pretty soon. Um, well, you, you know, I again, I had one kid and another on the way. So at the time, it seemed like not that smart move. <laughs> oh, so you're going to give up your paycheck and 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 I'm an intern. I'm making like twenty thousand dollars a year, and we're going to take our savings and we're going to do what? I got my wife, she was in here. She'd tell you it was okay. Well, it worked, but it didn't have to work. And that's well, that's the thing. You're young. You you just don't think you don't think you're going to die. And you don't think you're going to fail. And I guess that's a, uh, those are characteristics that you develop later. Those are muscles that develop later. The notion that A, you're mortal, and B, you're not necessarily going to succeed. Uh, I, I guess I'm glad I was uh, ignorant of those at the time. Mm. Well, I, I wanted to talk about remote patient monitoring. Um, it's, you know, I, I looked into USPTO and wa wanted to see kind of your, your, your patent profile. You know, I saw some of the, you know, some of the stuff that uh, was more, was more technically related to, um, you know, the technology, but it looked like one of the patterns that I saw was, was related to, to the remote portion of it, you know, not simply being able to, to, to read, but more, more also being able to communicate. Um, can you talk about that? Sure. Um, I also bought, I, I bought the, by the way, I found that um, I, I, I buy books when, when people recommend them. And in an interview, you mentioned uh, the, the, the patient will see you now and, yeah. and it's, it's on its way. So um, you know, I appreciate Eric the book recommendation. Yeah, exactly. Is, is, uh, he, he, he's, a, he's a good friend of mine and has been wonderful. Uh, in support of, of my crazy ideas and my company. And I applaud him. He has no vested interest in it. He just thinks uh, he's been a supporter. And those are, those are the best ones. People you don't have to bribe or buy who, who still support you. I, I would tell you that, you know, the concept I had in 1995 was that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And so the distance for information, critical patient information, between a patient and a potentially a doctor is a straight line, not a 
message left with a person on a desk, on a post-it note, on a, on a door, uh, with maybe a callback or a fax. No, it's a straight line. And that's, that idea just wasn't easily implemented in 1995. But in 2007, uh, the late Steve Jobs did his, you know, oh, one more thing and introduced the iPhone. And, you know, when they developed the tools uh, to allow development, I realized that my idea of 1995 was potentially possible and that we could draw a straight line between a patient and a doctor with critical information. In this case, a patient's cardiac rhythm, their EKG. And so now 2 million people later, that's how many lifetime customers we have at AliveCore. Uh, two, two million. Over 650,000 active users right now. And unfortunately, we've had patients that have died because we had heart patients, a lot of them, hundreds of thousands of heart patients. And so what I can tell you is they use this technology. Their doctors tell them to get this technology, prescribe the technology, to draw that straight line I envisioned in 1995, to cut out the middle barriers. I was about to say middlemen, but they're just the, the, the other things that lie in the path of critical data getting to the right person. And so that, you know, today we have codes that pay for Red Medicare for remote patient monitoring. I'm Medicare age. I have a Medicare card in my wallet. I appreciate uh, that and I would tell you that that in order to prevent bad outcomes, we need as early warning as possible. Uh, the earlier, the better. A prediction in medicine is equivalent to prevention, and so I think you know we were early. I've had some guys tell me I'm the, grand, the grandfather of, of digital health oh, and, and, and remote patient monitoring. I'm a grandfather. And yeah, in 2010, digital health wasn't a term. Uh, remote patient monitoring wasn't a concept. And so we've been there the entire time and we're still there. And we're, you know, uh, every major cardiac center uses us in Chicago, a Northwestern big advocate, big user, University of Chicago, Loyola, all of them. They're, and, and, you know, we're a standard tool. And, and that exceeds whatever my expectations were in 2010. Did I think we'd be a standard tool? No. Um, I did not have grand ambitions, but I thought it was a good idea. And I thought that with this app store thing, we could figure out the commercial aspect. I knew I did good science, but I, in the commercial aspect, and, and we knew doctors are the ultimate um, mobile workers. They don't sit in a desk every day. I mean, now that we've had telemedicine, it's, a little, it's gotten a little different, but reality <clears throat> is cardiologists are going all over and patients are mobile. They're at home, they're in a car, they're at, you know, the grocery store. And so how do we connect to mobile entities? We have to do it remotely. We have to do it wirelessly. And we have these great tools on both ends called a smartphone. So uh, I got that one right 10 years ago. I, I um, heard you mention that, that uh, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the... Um the the it, the the cardia is um, integrated into Epic and Cerner. We are we we have integrations into both Epic and Cerner. Uh, we have a few into Epic. We have one that we just announced into Cerner, and we'll be talking about that at the upcoming Hims Big Health IT show. Um, and so we we you've got to integrate into you know the the EMR in the hospital, as well as the outpatient, is the center of all healthcare information for an individual. And so we had to get into 
get our data into that record because people change doctors, change locations, travel, and, and, and you need to have continuity of information. What, um, what was your experience like um, moving into uh, kind of the design? So you had, you, you had the science and you had the, 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 the idea of how the device could, could work. What was your experience like um, moving into uh, commercializing it? Because um, I guess just looking at uh, your your background, it looked like you were you were more more focused on kind of data systems perhaps early, and then the 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 car, Cardia is, is it's a product based. Um, I could be wrong, by the way. I I'm I, what I will tell you is this: the first first of all, ha- having been in medical technology for quite a while, for essentially. 15 years at the time in, in, in uh, 2010, no, excuse me, 25 years at 2010. It's 35 years now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I can tell you is I had gotten many FDA 510Ks. I have 75 oh. now. So I'd yeah. got, I knew about the regulatory requirements. It's funny. I had a, a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, uh, when my video went viral, and I'm walking around the Consumer Electronics Show. He's at the FDA. He had been a student of mine at Duke, an undergrad biomedical engineering student when I was a grad student. Um, and he called me up. He said, Dave, what are you doing? I said, Mitch, I had no, this guy's name's Mitch. I had no idea that the world, that this thing was going to go viral. You got to understand. I, I had no clue. I thought I was sending it to three people. I didn't know I was sending it to the world. And, and, and so we, you know, as soon as we started AliveCore, mm-hmm. um, we began working on our FDA clearance. But for the first year, we principally sold to veterinarians. And if you went on Google now and you searched AliveCore animal, AliveCore veterinary, you'll find koala bears, chimpanzees, eagles, grizzly bears, dolphins, in addition to dogs, cats, and horses. We had lots of dog, cats, and horses. We have lots of track vets, a lot of veterinarians. So we sold for the first year to veterinarians around the world. And that got us started. Got us our first million dollars of revenue was veterinarians. And by that time, we got our first 510K and could begin legitimately selling. Now, do I think that some people probably said they were veterinarians? Mm, I think so. But, uh, you know, it, it, the good news is subsequently we've, we have lots of FDA clearances on various generations of our hardware and our algorithms. We developed interpretive algorithms. I mean, we evolved and, and continue to play by the rules, which a lot of digital health companies never understood the rules. I came out of medical technology. So I knew exactly what the rules were. Uh, I could not feign ignorance on this one. I knew what the rules were. And so we quickly followed the rules after my viral video. And, and again, for the first year, sold to veterinarians around the world and still have it. Again, you could see some great pictures on the internet of uh, early Alive Corps units being used on all kinds of animals. I will look at the, the, the eagle. I'm, uh, I'm curious. Oh, the about. Eagle. Eagle's a great, the eagle is a great picture. They, they've got this eagle and they've got the cardia and the smartphone right on his chest showing the ECG of the eagle. It's pretty amazing. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's interesting. You talk about the, the, the iPhone um, uh, removing one of the, the barriers to entry for the, for the idea that you had in 1995, 12 years later. You, you having sort of the aha moment that, hey, it, it wasn't the time then, it's the time now. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you, you'd been doing pushups in the background, basically, uh, you know, waiting for the time to come. Yeah, I was talking to my, my brother-in-law. He's, he's, uh, he's a big AI, AI guy and um, kind, of, kind of works with that. And he was telling me that AI has been a, around for a long time. We just didn't have the computing, you know, to be able to process it. Um, you know, based on my, based on my research, um, uh, you've raised some, some, uh, funding to be able to explore AI. 
Uh, and, and I've heard you talk about that uh, as well related to Alive Sport. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I, I mean, we've, we've computerized ECG interpretation has been around 60 years, okay, dating back to NASA and space program, Apollo program, and IBM was an early uh, uh, seller of computerized ECG and Hewlett Packard. Um, what is and, computerized yeah. ECG? Yeah, that computerized ECG has been around a long time where there was a computer interpretation of people, computer interpretation, uh, computer interpretation of, of an electrocardiogram. And just like everything else, I, I used back when I was still programming, back in about 1990, I, I did some research with early neural networks. And like almost everyone else in the field was extremely frustrated at the performance. So it just dropped it. The good news is there were people like Jan LeCun, uh, who's at NYU and is uh, the chief AI officer of, I think, Meta, AKA Facebook. Yeah. And he continued. And as we developed a large amounts of highly accurate annotated data, the ImageNet database, and two, the computing power in the cloud, available, scalable, with with array processors, you know, NVIDIA graphics chips repurposed for building these deep neural networks. Suddenly, what people have been working on speech recognition for literally decades, and what seemed like literally overnight, image recognition, speech recognition made quantum leaps forward in, you know, right around the, the turn of, of 2010. And so, you know, one of my early investors is the company Qualcomm, makes a lot of chips, makes a lot of wireless chips, but also makes mobile. Another one, and one of our lead investors is a gentleman named Vinod Kosla, co-founder of Sun Microsystems. And they're both very big advocates of AI. And we began as we built our database of, of ECG data and today, it's over 140 million ECGs in our cloud database. And it goes up a million ECGs a week. I remember when Vinod told me, uh, Dave, when we get to a million ECGs, the insights we're gonna derive. Well, now we get a million ECGs every week. And so that's the kind of data that enables you to build these powerful deep neural networks that give you the performance that, that quite frankly, we hadn't had before. And AliveCore is, is very involved and with clinical partners like the Mayo Clinic, we've developed some deep neural networks using some expertise and data from Mayo Clinic. And we will continue. Uh, we have other collaborators like at Emory University and Scripps, Dr. Topol, the, the author of uh, The Patient Will See You Now, is, is another one of our collaborators and we're working, you know, he wrote a book called Deep Medicine on, on and talks about AliveCore in that book. Uh, that, 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 that's the book that came after The Patient Will See You Now. And, and so we've got a number of collaborators around the world and we'll continue to push because we have the data and the computing capability is available. So those are the two critical elements that have made AI much more realizable than it was 20 years ago. So uh, in, in looking at some of the, uh, you know, the, the con consumer offerings, um, you know, particularly the, 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 the one that you have on Amazon, I don't know if, I don't know, I, I, didn't, I didn't do um, a whole lot of research on, on the new Cardia card, to be honest, but I was interested to see that um, you know, the, the output from a program perspective gives the, the patient a readout that says something to the effect of uh, possible AFib. Is the intent of the AI to be more um, prescriptive in saying you yes, AFib? Definite AFib? Yeah. Well, that, some of this is, is legalese yeah. because yeah. An, an electrocardiogram, no matter how good the interpretation is, how accurate it is, is not, you wouldn't be sending our unverified report into, for instance, an EMR, into Epic or Cerner. Every ECG that gets taken in a hospital has to be overread by a cardiologist 
before it's verified, before that report becomes something that goes into the record. Okay, so that that's simply us uh, hedging our legal bets and, and telling somebody, you know, if you have a concern, send this to your doctor or in our app, you can send it to a board certified cardiologist and get their interpretation back, back into the app. And so we give you, you know, if you have your own doctor, send it to them. We give you several ways of doing that. And if you don't, we'll give you, uh, you know, a board certified licensed cardiologist in your domain and you can send it to them and they will send you back the interpretation. So we enable that verification. And I think that's critical because any test, I mean, we're still, you know, the, the, the old notion was, is that, you know, is AI going to replace doctors? The reality is doctors who use AI will replace those who don't. And they will get their business because it is, it's, it's augmented intelligence, not artificial intelligence. We're augmenting. Computers do not get tired. They do not have bad days. They do not have sleepless nights. They make consistent mistakes when they make mistakes. Humans make inconsistent mistakes. Okay, they make, they, you know, they make a different mistake every day for, for different reasons because just we do. I mean, training, discipline, experience help that, but we still make inconsistent mistakes. And, and so the ability to combine the power of, of computer intelligence augments human intelligence and, and, and experience that quite frankly is invaluable when you're assessing a patient. Because again, you're not assessing an algorithm, you're assessing a squishy, breathing, living being. And so there's more, there's more to consider there than just numbers. And so um, <clears throat> I guess I, I was trying to bridge the gap from, from current state to future state, and maybe incorrectly. You, you don't think that will become a, a reality in the future? Where it's you so know, I, accurate. I, I think that, well, I, I, I again, I don't think it's an accurate thing. It's it's what you do. I mean, um, it, 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 we already have it. We 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 have alarms. We have uh, you know when you're in intensive care unit. If you ever walk through an intensive care unit, you hear the beeps, buzzes, alarms going off all the time. Yeah. Uh, I worked on infusion pumps early in my career. There you go. Baxter infusion pumps. Uh, uh, you know that, you know, uh, line, air in the line, uh, end of, end of the, you know, the bag's empty, all those things that, that can go wrong, clot, who knows. Those things require intervention. And so, you know, first of all, is it true because not all alarms are true positives. Some are false positives, some are false. And, and then there's false negatives. Wait a second, this patient's not breathing. Why, why hasn't the alarm gone off? Okay, so we, I, I think that the, the algorithms and the AI will get better. There's no question about that. We will get smarter. Progress keeps moving. But I don't see a time where the human is out of the loop. We already do that, by the way. Implantable defibrillators make a decision to save your life and shock you back without any human intervention, okay? They are sitting there in your chest, looking at you 24 seven, 365, saying, is this heart beating appropriate? And if it decides it's not, it, 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 it goes and acts. Well, we'll have more of that. We're going to have it with uh, glucose. So we're going to have it with diabetics. We already have it. We're going to have the artificial pancreas. That is, you're going to have continuous glucose monitors. And you're going to have glucose infusion pumps. And they're going to work in concert to give you more normal blood sugar management. That's coming. It's here. It's going to get better. And, and these are just examples of, of how the machines will be more powerful, be better, and will make some decisions independent of humans uh, that have to be made independent of humans. Can't wait. Oh, by the way, blood sugar's 250. Okay, I can't wait to have somebody decide to give me insulin. All right. Oh, I'm in ventricular fibrillation. Can't wait to get a doctor to say, hey, let's defibrillate this guy. The, those decisions, those time critical decisions will be made, and, and I'm sure more and more appropriately, 
uh, using intelligence, uh, computing intelligence. Understood. So, so thank you for, for um, helping clarify my understanding is helpful. Um, <clears throat> on the subject of alarms, I saw, I saw that um, you, you, know, you were involved in um, lifetime technologies. And I, I was really interested in, in uh, you know, putting together a, it, it's a smoke detector that, um, you know, helps at risk uh, people wake up in the event of, you know, fire. What, what prompted that? that seemed, well, after I seemed, left GE, yeah. I, I had, uh, it, it, I was, um, I, I had an idea that, uh, a heart monitor I developed at Data Critical. One day was it ran on a PC, and and it it listened to uh, uh, the sound made by a, an acoustic EKG device that that frequency modulated EKG and made it go woo woo turn that back into an EKG through the microphone, just like I'm talking to you on this PC. And one day our smoke alarm started chirping. And back in, you know, 2002 or three or whenever it was, um, that meant it had a low battery. Today we have 10 year ones that don't, you don't change the battery, you just change the device. And they last for 10 years because there've been lots of deaths as people not changing the batteries, smoke alarms being dead and people die. So I went and got a battery. Daughter said, change the battery. I went, and when you change the battery, uh, smoke alarms go beep, 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 beep. Okay. I came back and my daughter said, oh, by the way, your heart monitor picked up the smoke detector. Heart monitor picked up the smoke detector. I didn't think much of it. So then I left GE and I'm sitting there looking for problems. And I remember that the heart monitor picked up the smoke detector. Well, smoke alarms go off. They're, they're meant to wake people up. They're, they are alarms as are carbon monoxide alarms. So I said, you know, maybe we can make something. I said, is, you know, what happens to people who can't hear? And oh, by the way, all of us develop what's called presbycusis, age-relating hearing loss, high-frequency hearing loss. And the smoke alarms are high-frequency, around three kilohertz. A lot of people over the age of 65 cannot hear that. They will at all. At all. Cannot hear it. We're talking normal, not, not deaf people. We're just talking about the average people, the people that wear hearing aids, a lot of millions, millions, millions of people wear hearing aids for age-related hearing loss, which is high-frequency hearing loss, which is why, you know, somebody told me it's God's will. And I said, what did you mean by that? I said, well, husbands can't hear their wives' higher-frequency voices as they get older. I said, oh, God, you're just going to get me in trouble. Um, the reality is that that's a real problem. And so I started doing research and started yeah, like I always do. And I said, we can make a device that saves lives. So we built the, the Lifetone, HL100, now HL150, there's an HL200, and uh, have sold lots of them. A Lifetone uh, is sold lots of them to solve a problem. And had lots of people tell us, you saved my life. I had a fire in my kitchen. And I couldn't hear the smoke alarms going off. But when your device goes off, it goes off with a very low frequency, powerful alarm. I not only can hear it, but I can feel it. And, and so that, that business goes on today selling what in essence is a niche product, but a niche product that has millions of people around the world. Um, and I, I was able to go and help change the fire, US fire alarm code and the international code to say that for hearing impaired people, they need these much lower frequency alarms because the alarms you were installing and buying in Home Depot and Lowe's and things are not effective for those people. And those are the people that need the most warning. The other people that it's not effective for, children. Children will sleep, young children under the age of seven will sleep through an alarm. They incredibly deep sleep. And so that's it. You know, you need to get their parents up. You need to help get them up. So we, we, uh, Lifetone is a uh, company doing what I always uh, have tried to do is build solutions that save lives.
Yeah, you 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 have a, a a mantra saving lives one invention at a time, right? That's it, saving lives one invention at a time. That that's really cool. There's there's a book called uh, Set Phasers on Stun that talks about these sort of lapses in in human factors or user related um, engineering type. Oh, they they fought methods. me by the way. The the installed manufacturers fought me because they realized it was going to make things more expensive and and maybe bigger and all kinds of things. And I just said, um, you, you're fighting the wrong battle. And ultimately, I won that battle. And people won the battle. And the manufacturers figured out, oh, we can make more money. Okay, good. That's good. You can make more money. I'm all win, for win. it. It's a win, win, win. And, and the, the last part of the win is a win for me. It's a win for the manufacturers. It's a win for those people that suffer from fires. And when you hear about people dying in a fire, children, adults, it's always a tragedy. Same thing with carbon monoxide. You know, people have their stoves, have their, uh, you know, put their cars in their garage and, and don't turn the keys off and do nutty things. And then you hear them dying. And so uh, the good news is I've helped a little bit there. I've, I'm, I'm proud of that. That's really cool. I actually had no idea about that. So um that, that is really cool. As, as, as we close, I wanted to ask, we've, we've talked about a couple books um, uh, now, but any, any books that you recommend? Um, yeah, give me one second. Here are my books at the bedside. Okay, for those of you who probably have no interest in politics, there's Peril by Bob Woodward and uh, Robert Costa. There's Think Again by Adam Grant. Gotta have, gotta have a little sci-fi, okay? Andy Ware, okay? Hail Mary, Got, that's my, my sci-fi. And then finally, one of my favorite authors, Michael Lewis, The Premonition, talking about the people who first recognized that we were gonna have a bad pandemic. And, and I'm still waiting, you know, um, so there's, there's my bedside reading and, and I'm bad. I go from, I'll read a chapter in one book and then go read a chapter in the other book. You know, I, yeah, every night I, I don't, I don't finish one book. I, it takes me a long time to finish a book because I'm reading four books at the same time. And, and not every night do I read ever, you know, I, I just read one. So on that, on that subject, um, you know, you, you, you've done a, a high volume of work. You know, I, I counted five, five startups, 60 patents, uh, um, 75, yeah, I was going to say I, my, my research said 65 with a couple dozen pending. So some of the ones, well, that it, 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 because my name, some of the patents under David E. Albert, but some of them are just under David Albert. So if you uh, David Albert, You'll find a hundred something because there's several other David Alberts who are inventors, but you, you have to search David Albert without the E, Ernest being my middle name, to get all of them. And, and then, you know, you, you, can, you can find them. I, I just had one issue a week ago. I was going to ask, how do you main, maintain the output? And do you find that, you know, that you, you produce well, more I, over time? Or? This is something I'm a pro at. Inventing is, you know, my kids say my dad's no longer a doctor. He's a mad scientist. It's not really true. I'm an inventor. Uh, I'm just a, 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 you know, and inventions today, very seldom, it, it's not a solo game. It's a team game. Very seldom do people invent by themselves sophisticated technological in, uh, solutions. They just don't. So it, the good news is, is like I said, I can recognize ideas that are not only good ideas, but are good commercial opportunities. And, and so I've, you know, I continue to do that. Got lots pending, 20, 30 pending. Um, I, I tried to do uh, 50 patents by the time I turned 60 and I missed it. I was like at 49, but I got way more than, I was over 65 by 65. So uh, I didn't hit my first goal. I was like 48 or 49. I did hit my second goal. And, you know, I, I, I definitely want to continue to have 
as many patents as I am old in years. I think that's it's just a that's, that's, really a, fake, cool. that's a fake metric, but it 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 motivates me. That that that's really cool. Uh, what what's something that you're excited about that's coming up? Well, we have uh, it's it's funny. So back when I was when I had uh, Corazonics, my first company, we did a partnership with at the time HP Medical. It's now Philips, uh, Royal Philips. But it, I went to HP and I, I asked these guys. We just finished this collaboration and licensing, and and I said, well, "Hey, what are you working on this new?" He said, "He looked at me and said." we at Hewlett Packard are always working on new and innovative products. Okay. That was just some line that they told him, this is what you say when anybody says, what's the future. Um, <laughs> we at AliveCore are always working on new and innovative products. I promise you, uh, I may be old, but I'm not dead yet. The best is yet to come. We have some excitement coming. That's awesome. Well, uh, Dr. David Albert, everybody, where can people reach you? LinkedIn? Well, you know, they can, uh, uh, on LinkedIn or on Twitter, I am Dr. Dave Zero One. So both LinkedIn and Twitter at Dr. Dave Zero One, and uh, they can reach out to me on either of those social networks, and I usually will respond. Well, thank you, Dr. David Albert. Thank you, Subia. This has been a pleasure. And I'm going to stop recording. Thank you for listening to the Combinate Podcast. If you would like to support the show, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode and please share. Please send any feedback you have to CombinatePodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again.